1: back. Hour number two, Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network. I'm Chad Withrow. Jonathan Hutton is here. We are live in downtown Nashville. Got a great show. Got a great hour ahead for you. You're About to hear our conversation with SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey. Clay Travis, our fearless leader, will be listening into that conversation. We'll get his reaction to what Greg Sankey has to say coming up momentarily. And then later in the hour, Jim Nagy will join us. But right now, here is SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey. Hot
2: Mike with Hunting Withrow rolls on across the OutKick Network with SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey. Uh, always enjoy the chats when we have the opportunity here at SEC Media Days uh, here across the OutKick Network. Let's just jump right in. I, I, reacting to your, your opening address for this year, the State of the Union for the Southeastern Conference, um, I thought it was very on point with your discussion on name, image, likeness, the call for more, more help with federal legislation. When you and I chatted via Zoom last year, I felt like, well, you're making progress. I didn't get the sense that we are now from that level. Is it frustrating? Is it, did I catch the right tone?
3: No, I, I think there, there is progress as far as interest. You know, the issue is commitment to resolve the issue. Um, I would anticipate, you know, at least indications over the next three or four weeks, a lot of Either discussion, drafts, or or actual bills introduced um, from different sources, senators, and House members. And I think the more and more of that activity that takes place, even though they'll be different, is an indication that interest is building, moving towards a commitment to resolve the issue. What we need is something to move through the committee process onto the floor. So we're we're not not close. We've not been successful. We're closer. Now, I don't know what close actually means. i mean See, you go back to, up on that, Well, too you go now. back to like Schoolhouse Rock when I was a kid. And, you know, I'm just <laughs> a bill. Yeah, I'm only a bill. And it's a process. And, and things don't happen rapidly. Um, I feel like you make level. things happen, though. Well, I, we're, I, I do think the, the time we spent in early June was, was highly productive. In fact, I walked out of those conversations with an understanding that there was more knowledge... Uh, more interest, asking of the right question, more engagement from staff than we've seen. I, I think that's progress. And whether or not I can break the, predict the timeline is really immaterial. I have a responsibility to try. But I'm also mindful that, you, know, you go back to the old Ronald Reagan quote that, you know, I'm from the federal government. I'm here to help. You need to be careful about those words. But the reality I wanted to describe Monday is this is the why we, we need congressional involvement, and that's to have a national standard. Otherwise, you're left to have an effort at national competition with varying state laws, and that doesn't work very well.
1: You know, you always speak in a way in your addresses that's very much devoid of ego when talking about the conference that that you lead. But when you look at the state of the NCAA right now, which is is very much in flux with how things are going with NIL, are you cognizant of the fact
3: that you may be the most powerful person in college sports right now? I'm asked that question, and I, I, I typically respond and with great meaning that this is not um, a, a power trip for me. I need to be influential and effective. Those are the words that I use. And so the, the, the chair, you know, the seat, the job title gives you influence, you need to use that well. And yesterday in between interviews I had a couple phone calls on key things where um, on one some colleagues moved, I think to a really healthy place that will slow some thoughts down, but also give us opportunities for the future trying to think about um, potentially being in D.C. again to visit, that's, you know, using influence and, and trying to be effective. It is a highly interesting time as you think about challenges to authority broadly, and the N.C.A. is right at the heart of that, and there are missteps that I could identify over time. You have a new uh, leader in Charlie Baker, who is a Republican governor of Massachusetts, a blue state, so he figures out how to solve problems uh, with different of view Charlie walked into a situation he didn't create and I think we need a little bit of patience to see his effort his ideas uh, and the NSA is going to have to continually adapt to be um, more effective than it is right now and and part of it is we all have been slow to change and and I think there are reasons for that we could go into uh, but we all have a responsibility to be influential in our own way I just happen to be in a really prominent role where I say things and all of a sudden they're on the ticker. Like yesterday's moment was I was asked on radio, would we rank 1 through 82 the teams and assign them to bowl games? I'm like, sure, because I know that we'll have all the (laughs) teams. Well, I don't even know what that means, just to be honest. But it was a nice answer, right?
2: (laughs) SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey with us. You're also helping lead the way for uh, the potential where 25% of all member institutions uh, will be represented in the NCAA tournament, right? I'm against this. I think we're at a point where it's so competitive even from the 16 seed playing the ones now. How many teams are you advocating for? Is it exactly 25? No. What's the perfect tournament for Greg Sankey?
3: So 25% came from a subcommittee of a bigger committee I chair. And they were assigned to think about uh, championship bracketing. We go back last July, I, I had a conversation with Pat Forty for Sports Illustrated. And I learned that whenever you begin a, an answer with, look, I don't want to make headlines here. You should stop yourself. <laughs> right. and The and headline I, will follow. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> right when you so, say that. So the full background is I had spent the month of June in a set of meetings where everyone was afraid of things being taken away. Automatic bids, championship access, governance access. For the SEC's
2: gain or the Big Ten's gain. Yeah, was also whatever the of perceptions. It. Right, and so, right.
3: You know, you think about, I'm not trying to take things away, but I don't think, things aren't remaining static. Let me give you two examples, the Big Ten and the SEC. Next year, we're going to be at 16. In men's basketball in particular, the Big Ten adds UCLA. If that's not the number one most historically successful program, it's in the top three. USC has done really well in recruiting. That means those two programs and other programs are going to experience more losses. Texas and Oklahoma have perennially been in the NCAA tournament. I don't need to hear, well, you don't have a 500 record in the Southeastern Conference of the Big Ten. You shouldn't be in. Those teams may be in the top 40. And so what we do is we provide access to automatic qualifier conferences. It provides great storylines like Fairleigh Dickinson and St. Peter's. But this is a national championship of the best teams. And so let's go back a year when Old Miss won the Baseball College World Series. They were the last team in, the last team in. Now the committee gets together and maybe they're the first team out. The last team in was good enough to win the national championship. And you really look at a bandwidth to probably the top 50. So to answer your question, I think about the top 50 programs across the board, particularly in men's, women's basketball, are really, really competitive programs. And in men's basketball, the competitive variance there is really, really narrow. When you say one versus 50, it sounds like a big gap. It's actually not. But we give up the last 15 or so of those spots to, to provide automatic access to conferences. That's healthy. But I think we can grow a bit. We can think a bit more beyond 68. Um, I don't just go to 25% or 96 I think there are some different models out there that still provide access, so we're not taking anything away. But we make sure we have the best teams in the country with an opportunity to compete for the national championship. And I, I think that's a little bit more than what we have right now. But whenever the NCAA completes a 3 way, you're fine disagreeing with that. Oh, that's I know. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. why I
2: enjoy talking to you, because yeah. I don't want to have Florida Atlantic have to go through a... Again, I'll use Mississippi... Mississippi State, in order to go to the and face the one that they've already had the chance to upset. Or we could go back to a, a 14 or 15 seed that now might be playing a, a, a game. That would be a version of Dayton, Ohio. Uh, another 14 seed. Yeah. yeah, you
3: go back to this year to Mississippi State's opening round game. It was a buzzer-beater. It was in end game situation. That's great basketball. That's what you want is compelling stories right. where people decide on the court rather than specifically in a committee room. And so those were top 40 teams playing that night. I think those are the kind of teams you want to have access. And what, what you have to remember is there are the stories about one uh, being defeated by 16 so we've provided hundreds of those opportunities over time and it's happened once, maybe twice. 15 versus two, same sort of thing. So we're, we're asking for that kind of opportunity, which are wonderful storylines, but they're pretty small occurrences. And when you look at the RPI, it is more likely that 11 beats a one on a regular basis than a 16 beats a 12, just because of the competitive gap in the statistical analysis. That's part of what informs my thinking.
1: You don't become a commissioner by not being a good salesman, as we just heard right there with uh, SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey on that point. I was just answering the question. Yeah. Innocently, <laughs> <with>
3: pure interest.
1: <laughs> uh, when you have a three-year NCAA investigation that ends with one of your member schools, like in the case with Tennessee that ended recently, LSU, a long process that ended recently, do you also feel a sense of completion when those processes are over?
3: Well, certainly when something's finished, you feel that, but as you start talking about the time frame i think the time frame is way too long and this is not new this is not about the southeastern conference i think the fact we don't have resolution to the kansas basketball issue um, is unacceptable i think the time it took to figure out the post fbi arrest matters which was years and years and years i mean we we had actions i think dating back to 2016 that weren't decided until 2022. that just can't be acceptable what has happened is frequently when we've had these special committees these committees have said we need to be more aggressive with penalties we need to be stronger that we have to take stronger action but we've we've missed the time frame and what i think should happen is we should be more focused on completing these issues in timely manners timely manner one rewarding leadership on campus and wouldn't it be awesome if a campus could investigate itself so well and hold itself accountable through change and maybe some penalty punitive actions that there's little for the ncaa to do at that point point. Uh, and so i look at shifting the mindset and this is not something new i wrote a memo three years ago that's still under consideration to try to move these things along because i think the the lag of time is the biggest the biggest gap right now in the ncaa infractions and accountability process Correct me if I'm wrong, but your
1: policy typically is to not interfere with universities and programs in their own internal discipline. A couple of difficult things at Alabama this year, terrible situation with the basketball program, Uh, Jermaine Burton in the game against Tennessee also. Do you ever feel a desire to want to get involved in those those things? Are you ever someone that would consult a university on what to do in a situation like that, or do you completely – step aside, and let the schools handle
3: those matters internally? So those are two matters, but even over the last year, we could go campus by campus and list issues that one could say was the right level of oversight or accountability provided. You know, I have a responsibility for the role assigned to me, and that role doesn't extend to campus disciplinary issues. You know, should it? Uh, Those are interesting questions that we deal with, uh, I think we've done a, a fairly effective job at balancing those issues um, we just saw a report uh, I think USA Today had on, on how Title IX is applied uh, that's a federal federal law and federal policy uh, assigned to campuses to administer and it varies greatly um, and so there's not uniformity across many aspects of higher education as people try with I think goodwill and good faith to address discipline and oversight issues and, and they're hard issues greg sankey
2: has uh, been our guest as we wrap up i know you're you're an avid runner uh marathons well, when you were younger during uh COVID, you ran every single day and there's a streak
3: going right do you still have that going no no i uh, 502 straight days of 35 minutes or more uh, i just finished a 15k which is nine miles um, Running in Utica, New York, I had knee surgery, so it slowed me down. Okay, so, I'm, so that, that I'm end the, of the streak. I'm still in the rehab. Did that cause the end of the streak? was a stomach flu caused the end of the streak. Oh. <laughs> I had worked through one stomach flu and said, I'm going to force myself no matter oh. what happens. That sounds like, like, like misery. It, I was like at day 280. I'm like, I'm going to go. And then when I hit 502, I was like on the floor. And I'm like, come on, one more day. And I'm like, maybe this is the, the sign you should just stop. Very random
2: here. Chad and I are all SEC fans, college football fans, the, the SEC on CBS, the, the SEC theme is iconic. Yeah. Do you get to preview whatever the new theme is about to be? Do you get versions of it and be like, yes,
3: that's yeah, we've the, the ta- Southeastern yeah, Conference? Yeah, so we've t- the amount of feedback over that music is fascinating to me. Like the NBA on NBC. Yeah, and there's other music. So we've had initial conversations, uh, more looking back. Uh, we're not going to take the music that's allocated or owned by some other network, so there'll be something different It's calling up. John Tesh is we, what that we, means. Yeah, <laughs> we've, no, no, I would uh, like let's see if Huey Lewis could come back and do something, or uh, Darius Rucker, I don't know. Uh, There's plenty well, of Southern music we, tie-ins you, know, you well, A compliment to CBS is the way they set the stage for those games. Oh, yeah. And the music's part of it, the scenery, and the commentary that's part of the introduction. And, and we've had conversations with... With ABC SPN, about how do we maintain that special feel um, as, as we're adding inventory to their world. I know we, you've said earlier, I, when you start
2: something with, I don't mean to, to make headlines here. I'm not trying to insinuate anything. Is so That
3: means, but we are, right? So, is your relationship to with
2: Tony Patetti better than it was with Kevin Warren in the Big Ten?
3: Uh, you know, I don't know better or worse. Tony, I've actually had a lot of interaction since he started, so. Uh, it is at this point more active I would say and I think that's because of the timing and needs now when Kevin first started and this would be natural for me the first couple of months was January February of 2020 and we had we had plenty of interactions and then COVID hit and then we're all talking every week so just a very different environment Um, Kevin and I uh, texted over the weekend still and uh, he was congratulating me on my contract and I was we kind of bannered back and forth my wife and I became grandparents was talking about he's got work on a stadium you read about so yeah I, I saw Kevin in April in an event as he was transitioning out so I, I think I have a, a friendly relationship with Kevin he worked for Mike's Live earlier in his career I worked for Mike um, and you know we may have viewed things differently from time to time but I, I think we've always been able to maintain a healthy relationship. You're always great to do this. We appreciate it, as always. And it's the event tough continue. staring at myself on the camera. That's yeah. the one time this happens the whole we time. We have to do it every day, and yeah. every day it's not fun. Well, you're just wonderful people to <laughs> look the, at. The, so the sign of power you know is whenever got you, you joke down that you below. haven't seen yourself yeah. on camera The before. better part was the video showing there, yeah. um, like a it. woman climbing down a cargo net and falling. <laughs> who, who knows? Yeah. Who knows on that show? <laughs> who knows what they were talking about? Good to see you. Yep, thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks for being part of our media days.
1: Show rolls on on a Wednesday on Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network, and you just heard SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey. We caught up with him at SEC Media Days. Now we talk with our fearless leader, president of Outkick and founder, Clay Travis, who's on the phone with us right now. Clay, we opened up the interview asking Greg Sankey about his opening remarks in his State of the SEC address about NIL and how he didn't sound overly optimistic and is calling once again on some form of federal legislation to set the rule book for NIL. My question is, is it a mistake to call on federal legislation for anything right now, especially something like NIL? Is it a mistake to rely on that?
0: I don't know that it's a mistake because I do think from a pure competitive standpoint, you probably need a uniform set of NIL law so that the rules in California and Florida and Illinois are not completely different um, because you could get into a situation where uh, under federalism, there's actually an arms race for high end uh, uh, you know, football players. And so I'll give you an example. I'm not sure I, I have not studied this in, in great detail, but I know that under California NIL law, high school kids can get paid. So we talk a lot about how NIL is going to impact college, but there are high school kids who are juniors and seniors that can enter into contracts to be paid for their name, image, and likeness while they're still enrolled in high school. Uh, That same law may not apply in Texas or Tennessee or, uh, or New York. It just depends on what the individual state laws are, but you've got a hodgepodge that is actually pretty complicated. And you can see how you could worry if you are, say, the commissioner of a highly competitive college football conference, that you could end up in an arms race where Texas is making one law and Florida is making another, and you're trying to reconcile the disparate treatments as it pertains to NCAA law. And tying this in uh, the, uh, current attorney general of the state of Tennessee, Jonathan Skermetti sent a letter to the NCAA and said, if you try to implement a bowl ban, uh, we will ban that. Uh, we will sue you under state law, which takes precedence over NCAA rules. And Tennessee has passed in an IL law that basically says that you have a right as an athlete to participate in a bowl game for purposes of, uh, being able to monetize your uh, your talent, and so if that right is taken away, it's an attack. And I'm sim- I'm sim- uh, uh, try to simplify it here, but it's an attack upon your individual uh, your individual individual ability to earn income. And so the state would sue over any attempt to do that. I don't think that's going to become unique um, in terms of individual states because one is good politics, right? I mean. If, you are a, uh, if you're a representative in Alabama and you want to draft NIL law that makes it more likely that Alabama and Auburn are going to win sporting events and have better players, I would think there's probably no law that is more likely to be widely supported across partisan you know, boundaries, whether you're Democrat, Republican, or Independent, than, hey, we want Auburn and Alabama to win more football games. Let's do whatever is necessary to help make that a reality.
2: Clay Travis with us on Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow. Clay, one of the the topics we got into as well is, and and, and you said this early on, and while I was attending SEC media days years ago, uh, the the attention to detail and the preparation that Mike Slive would put into the opening address. I know Greg Sankey does the same because when he speaks, people listen. And I, I said I was listening, and I didn't take a very optimistic approach to what his tone and tenor of how things have gone over the last 12 months or so on Capitol Hill for where he hopes it will go. And here was Greg Sankey's answer. You
3: know, the issue is commitment to resolve the issue. Um, I would anticipate, at least indications over the next three or four weeks, a lot of either discussion, drafts, or or actual bills introduced um, from different, sources senators and house members and i think the more and more of that activity that takes place even though they'll be different is an indication that interest is building moving towards a commitment to resolve the issue what we need is something to move through the committee process right on onto the floor and so we're, we're not, not close been, we've not been successful we're closer now, i don't know what close actually means. mean picking up on that well too too you go now. back to like schoolhouse rock when i was a kid and you know i'm just <laughs> a bill yeah i'm only a bill and it's a process and and things don't happen rapidly um i feel like you make level. things happen though well i we i i do think the the time we spent in early june was was highly productive in fact i walked out of those conversations with an understanding that there was more knowledge uh, more interest asking of the right question more engagement from staff than we've seen i, I think that's progress and Whether or not I can predict the timeline is really immaterial. I have a responsibility to try. But I'm also mindful that, you know, you go back to the old Ronald Reagan quote that, you know, I'm from the federal government, I'm here to help. You need to be careful about those words. But the reality I wanted to describe Monday is this is the why we need congressional involvement, and that's to have a national standard. Otherwise, you're left to have an effort at national competition with varying state laws, and that doesn't work very well. And Clay,
2: just picking up on what he said there, no, no matter how much or how little we think Greg Sankey is doing behind the scenes, and we know he's doing a lot, he's doing more than a lot. I, he has, you know, the web spread very wide on Capitol Hill, but also the tenor and tone of what the presidents of his universities want.
0: Yeah, but I, I mean, it's hard to get anything passed. On Capitol Hill right now. Yeah. Uh, leave aside nil. I mean, you're talking about a, a a basically even Senate and a basically even House, and so the idea of getting anything pushed through on a bipartisan basis is uh, is going to be a challenge. I think what it speaks to is when you go to Capitol Hill like they did with Nick Saban, you can pretty much get any meeting you want, and so I think what the SEC has and what the Big Ten would have certainly is the star power to be able to get in front of the, uh, in front of the right people politically. But I, I tend to think that it's going to be super hard to get anything passed uh, between now and uh, 2024 when we have another presidential election. I, I think, by and large, much of the gears of governance are going to, uh, to increasingly uh, uh, not move very smoothly.
1: Clay, you're hosting a party tonight here at Sixth and Peabody, downtown Nashville, for uh, SEC Media Days. A lot of people we know are going to be in attendance. The band Parmalee is going to headline. Uh, The SEC is very important to you. A little bit of show and tell. I know you can't see this right now, but I'll show the audience today. I was approached by Mike Slive, uh, the now uh, deceased Mike Slive, former commissioner of the SEC, his former assistant, who brought me this book on Rocky Top, (coughs) written by Clay Travis and said when they were cleaning out Commissioner Slive's office after he passed away, that this book was in his bookcase. And on the inside of it, I'll read it right now, it says, To Commissioner Mike Slive, thanks so much for all your hard work to make the SEC the greatest conference in America. I hope you enjoy my book half as much as I did our interview from one lapsed lawyer to another, signed Clay. So I have been given this to give to you tonight uh, at this party but Clay, I say all this to say, uh, I know the SEC is very important to you. Commissioner Slive was as well. The SEC has been really blessed with great leadership from Mike Slive to Greg Sankey. It really has been impressive.
0: Yeah, this is maybe the first time I've had an autographed copy of my own book returned to me. So uh, that is, uh, uh, you know, on the one hand, he kept it uh, on the bookshelf. So uh, so I take that as a, uh, as a as at least a positive uh, sign. Um yeah, look, I mean I, what I would say about Mike's live and, and I'm paraphrasing uh, from from when we've talked before, and I've interviewed him, he talked all the time, and and I think it was very significant to him about viewing the Southeastern Conference as a legacy um and as a public trust. And the idea that he had was, I want to be the steward, and I know Greg Sankey would would sign off on this same idea. I want to do a good enough job uh, as the commissioner of the SEC. That when I move on and someone else rises to take over as commissioner, that the the, the public trust, the brand, uh, the, uh, the, the the SEC itself, the shield, is in a better position than it was before I took over, and that to me is uh, is 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 how important those guys view that job, and and I think it speaks well to the conference in general that in the last what are we sitting at now like thirty years there basically have been three SEC commissioners, if I'm not mistaken, Roy Kramer, Mike Slive, and now Greg Sankey. And uh, Sankey has signed on through 2028. But a lot of times that stability allows the growth of, uh, of, a, of an organization in a substantial way. And I can say, look, Roy Kramer was the, the idea that he had was to expand and create a college uh, SEC championship game. Um, and so he added South Carolina and Arkansas and the SEC championship game. Mike Slive added Missouri and Texas A&M. And Greg Sankey is now going to add Texas and Oklahoma next year. And I think all of them would argue that the growth of the SEC from a 10-team organization to a 16-team organization uh, has made the overall strength of the SEC brand much greater than it was 30-some-odd years ago when those guys first came into uh into the office as the commissioners of the sec clay i believe
2: it's the 15 year anniversary this week of you asking tim tebow if he's saving himself for marriage uh now we're, we're not even lucky enough to get most of the conference quarterbacks to show up to sec media days uh so as, as great as the sec has been trending uh we don't get those moments from you or any quarterback that could go down that path
0: the way tebow did where does that question rank well, in your list of career defense. achievements clay uh, yeah, the the reason they put that uh, the SEC Media Days in this week is because it's one of the slowest sports weeks of the year, and you know they they can turn it into a big event. A thousand people in Nashville. Hopefully, a lot of those people will come to uh, to our event this evening. Oh, they'll be here. But they will be a, yeah, there'll be a, a a good crowd. But they're trying to create news. You guys tell me. I haven't even seen any significant news really that's come out of of SEC Media Days and. I think that's one of the, the – so the Tebow question, um, like there's not even been a question asked that anybody's really reacted to uh, or has created news. Um, and, uh, I, you know, candidly, I think they need more newsworthy events because for the most part, nothing has, has really been said. I think a lot of these coaches and players are so well trained uh, when it comes to media now that their goal is not to say anything of any particular substance. You know, there's not a lot of Steve Spurriers, Mike Leaches uh, that are in the SEC now. Uh, They're very much sort of corporate buttoned up guys by and large. And, uh, you know, you got a Nick Saban who feels, I think, pretty comfortable saying whatever he wants. But that's the exception. Uh, Most guys are just trying to avoid making news, which (laughs) in many ways defeats the purpose of having a big media event when everybody's goal is, is to not make news. And then I think it's the car wash impact, right? Like, these guys have to go through and they talk to ESPN, they talk to CBS. And uh, and and by the time they talk to the big rooms full of media, I think a lot of them are drained. And also, they've answered every question under the sun. And so, you don't have very many unique or interesting questions being asked. Clay,
2: we look forward to it tonight, man. Uh, it's going to be jammed. Uh, Bailey Zimmerman's dropping off his trucks right now for the tailgate throwdown uh, as we speak. Awesome. So. It's going to be, uh, and, and Parmalee's going through sound check currently. So, it, it and the weather is going to be perfect after what was a crazy evening last night. So, yeah, it looks wait. like it's going to be
0: perfect. Though people come out and have a good time, and I'll see everybody there tonight. That sounds good. All man. right, Clay. Sounds good, Clay Travis. See y'all later, yeah.
1: President Founder of Outkick, Clay Travis. Um, a story out there also wanted to pass along, which I think is sort of ridiculous. That um, if there's going to be a horns down. Motion made by any player in a game against Texas, it's going to be an automatic 15-yard penalty once they get to the SEC. I I think things like that are just so dumb. It was a motion, but they haven't come to a conclusion on how that's going to be handled, The other one is the the gator chomp. You know, we've seen people mock Florida (laughs) with a gator chomp and doing something around that.
2: Well, they've got – see, it's semantics now about
1: the category of unsportsmanlike conduct. Right? Is it taunting an opponent? Is it making a travesty of the game? Is it otherwise compromising our ability to manage the game? Uh, There's a difference between a player giving a signal directly in the face of an opponent as opposed to doing it with teammates celebrating. I'm all for that, and I do think there are various levels of it. If you go up and get in someone's face and there's a hand gesture in their face that could prompt a physical altercation, (laughs) I can understand how that would be a 15-yard penalty, but if you're doing a group celebration... Where you look at the ESPN cameras and do the horns down right. on your way off the field? Don't care. Well, I don't care about that. It's it's it, it is a. <laughs> it's just funny. Vince Young got into a fight over this.
2: Remember this? Yes. Someone gave him the upside down hook him horns, and he got into a brawl with someone. I over think it. he
1: also had about two bottles of tequila in him. So did the, the person did doing that. it to him? Though. Yeah. Well, I remember the pictures from whatever Man. he was at, and um,
2: yeah. It's. And then Oklahoma, you know, Oklahoma's going to always do it.
1: Well, it's crazy to me though that it's that. But again, I, I do like separating the two. There's a difference between getting in someone's face and taunting them, and celebrating with the horns down towards cameras <laughs> or a side or your sideline or whatever. Just l- let's use common sense with it. That'd be my only thing. Yeah, just let's,
2: score and then go double birds in the end zone.
1: Let's let's use let's use a little bit of common sense. Uh, Jim Nagy is the executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl. Always love catching up with Jim, talking about the best prospects, talking about the NFL draft. He can discuss all of it. We sat down with him at SEC Media Days. We'll talk with Jim Nagy coming up. This is Hot Mike with With Withrow on the Outkick Network. We're back, Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network. Alongside Jonathan Hutton, I'm Chad Withrow. Some great coverage coming to you from SEC Media Days this week. Hutton, earlier I complained about someone who is a conversation lingerer. They linger too long in a conversation, don't know when to get out, and move on to the next conversation or move on about their business. Jim Nagy of the Senior Bowl is not one of those guys. He is great at sitting in the conversation. And when you're in the conversation with him, you're enjoying it every time. And what he's done, Chad, is he has turned that
2: event into a a draft weekend, a full week, where I think it's more beneficial and it impacts draft rooms just as much and soon to be more than the NFL combine. Because half the time, the top players are not going to Indy and doing everything. They go for the medicals. But you can already talk to the players at the senior bowl. And if you're the senior quarterback or any position uh, from a a lower tier conference or program, you get to go head to head with the pads on and prove your worth in the NFL draft process. Plus, you have the other guys uh, across the top conferences who are actually participating in this more often than not now.
1: Yeah, and I think you're right. He really has turned the Senior Bowl into the best resource for GMs and scouts in the NFL to evaluate talent. So we'll talk to the talent evaluator himself. Here is Jim Nagy, executive director of Reese's Senior Bowl.
2: Back at SEC Media Days, our broadcast set up here in downtown Nashville with the executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl, Jim Nagy joins us on hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow across the outkick. Now we're good to see you here in yeah, person.
4: Good morning, guys. Good to see you.
2: You've built this uh, the, the senior bowl into what is right there on par, I believe it's better than the NFL combine based on evaluation and how you can see players really play ball, right? Instead of shorts and a t-shirt. It's real football. What's the message <laughs> or why are you here at media days for the upcoming season is it more about the coaches is it more about the players who are here who do you want to talk to and why
4: mostly the players mostly the players it's good it's good to connect with the coaches as well again with the head guys like I I don't talk to those guys during the season very often unless they reach out to me Um, I'll see a lot of assistant coaches and have conversations at games on Saturdays Um, but the head guys are busy but no it's more about the players connecting with these guys kind of a first touch point for them Um, outside the quarterbacks like you know off air we talked about i was at manning camp so i know some of the quarterbacks from that but but no this is just the first time we've got a little little thing that i give the players about the game and um it's about it and i don't take up much of their time i just you know brief introduction that's about it
1: you you have to love football players to, to do this job i feel like and every time we talk to you there is a genuine love of football players and wanting to help them that comes across Am I accurate
4: in yeah, saying that? man, you got to love it. No, when I was working in the NFL, um, you know, you'd know, you be on planes and watching tape, and people would say, oh, what do you do? And you'd tell them, and they're like, oh, do you love that? And I'm like, you got to love it, because especially the NFL scouting part, that's a hard life. I don't think people realize, they think NFL, it's real glamorous. Well, it's really not. Like, you're on the road... Two hundred nights a year, and you're staying in Fairfield's, and like it's <laughs> not, you got you gotta love it. Um, no, in this role is great because I feel like I can help the players a little more, um, and just be a, a sounding board for them, and kind of mentor for him in some ways um, and it helped him guide him through the draft process because again, like what I'm, I'm getting ready to go out to some colleges and, and talk to teams about the draft process and this is a huge like 10 months for these guys. It's really stressful. There's a lot thrown at them. Their families don't really know how to navigate it. Um, so I do, man. I, 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 I feel really blessed in this role to, to be able to give back a little bit. I'm, I've been doing this a long time now so to give back and help these players, it's, uh, it's a good opportunity. Worst
2: scouting trip Ooh. travel experience throughout your years in the NFL
4: uh, man there was, there's was, there was been some tough there's been some tough travel stuff um, I'll say the worst time I was a 25 year old Aries Scout first year in the league had I didn't have two nickels to rub together I'm in Seattle. Um, working for their Redskins at the time, and they didn't give us a company card. Like I'm 25 years old, I don't have a lot of money in my bank account. I can't be bankrolling hotel nights, but but it literally it's coming out of pocket to do the hotel. So I'm in Seattle for the first time, go to the Space Needle. I want to go, I want to go up in the Space Needle. right? I didn't even have enough money to go up in the Space Needle, oh,
1: <laughs> uh, oh, which oh, was pretty. Blue. Did you get there and they had to turn you away which when you it? found out the price? Or? <laughs> yeah, no, no, I
4: got there and I saw what it was, I'm like, oh, oh, well, I don't have enough money in my account to do this. Like this is pitiful, but. Uh, but but no, I mean, most. There, there are stories, obviously, about like being in schools. I got kicked out of Pittsburgh once. Um, <laughs> so they, they, were, uh, they were playing Notre Dame that week, and Charlie Weiss had just— I was working for the Patriots, and Charlie Weiss had just left the Pats to go to Notre Dame, and they were playing Notre Dame that week. So when they found out— you know, I came in, and I called ahead. Like, I'd, I'd, done, I'd gone through all the protocols, but when I'm watching tape, it's like 11 o'clock. I'd been there all morning, and uh, the DFO, Director of Football Operations, comes down. He's like, Jim, we're going to have to ask you to leave. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, well, we're playing Charlie Weiss this week. I'm like, well, you could have told me that before I drove all the way to Pittsburgh for his visit. But, uh, no, there's some, there's some good stories.
1: Most people would be thrilled to get kicked out of Pittsburgh. So, <laughs> good, good for you. Um, Quarterbacks, right? There's only five here at SEC Media Days, which is a departure from most years. Yeah. That sort of shows the state of that position this year in the league where there's a lot of transition uh, happening, specifically Joe Milton. Uh, You made the exception for Hendon Hooker that we talked about with the injury this last year. Mm -hmm. Another quarterback coming through Josh Heupel's system. How much interest do you have in him and what he could possibly do this year?
4: Yeah, plenty. It's a bi- it's, and I understand why teams didn't send their quarterbacks because it's a big prove-it year across the country at the quarterback position. There's a ton of names. I mean, compared to most years, you really at this time, usually most years we're going into the year, there's about 10 guys that legitimately, 10 to 15 guys that have a legit chance if they play well to, to get an invite that we like. Um, This year there's like 20 to 25, and that's because so many guys came back and and NIL money brought them back for whatever reason. Um, But, yeah, Joe Milton's obviously a guy that's interesting at the Manning camp um – you know, we were talking earlier, he threw the ball 83 yards in the air. So, I mean, the guy's got a hose for an arm. He's a good athlete. He's a big, strapped-up dude. Wait till you see him. I and mean, maybe you've been around him, but, I mean, he's a big, physically yeah. imposing look- looking guy. And he threw
1: it 83 yards, then did a backflip. And then
4: he did the backflip. So, that uh, was right out of, I, I think he took that right out of Anthony Richardson's playbook from last year. Like, Anthony Richardson was big and strong and had a huge arm, and then he did a backflip. So, maybe if I do the same thing, I might be a top-ten pick. So, <laughs> um, But, no, he again, he looked really good down the stretch. Had the big bowl game against Clemson, but but it's a big prove-it year now. It's his team. We talked about that at the Manning camp. and I talked about him like this is your team now, man. Like you got to show it. You got to be the leader. You got to got to lead these guys. And uh, so yeah, big, big year for him.
2: Jim Nagy uh, with us from the Reese's Senior Bowl. So um, I, I'm thinking back to our previous conversations. As you're watching the draft play out and you see your guys, or in, in the case I'm going to get to uh, the, the guy who didn't come was Stetson Bennett. Are you? Pairing guys with coaches and thinking, oh, that that's going to be a hit.
4: For sure. Does no, it, for
2: sure. When Sean McVay blesses a quarterback, are you thinking that?
4: Yeah, no. I mean, it fits, it fits everything. I tell the players that all the time. Like, the, the, the level, the, the discrepancy in talent at the NFL level is so so slamming. So what keeps guys in the league is the makeup stuff. Like you miss more on when you work for, you know, I look back on the teams I work for and the players we quote unquote missed on. We didn't really miss on the player in like that evaluation. We missed on the person. You know, like he wasn't the competitor we thought he was, he wasn't, he wasn't as tough as we thought he was. Um, so yeah, it, and so fit matters and organization matters. So yeah, sometimes when you see a guy drafted, like Hendon Hooker's a great example. I just saw him down in the lobby a couple days ago. Detroit's a great fit for Hendon. He's going there, he's not going to be rushed on the field. Jared Goff's a, a great veteran. He's been there. He's done that. He can learn under Jared Goff. That's a great. That's a, and then you see other guys get drafted, and you're like, oof, that's going to be, you know, that's a hard room to break through, you know. So, so yeah, that's when we watch the draft. Yeah, obviously, every time every gets, everyone gets picked, I'm like, try to figure out the situation.
1: Is that. Dan Campbell a hard fit for guys, though? Is that one that's more specific because of his personality? I when think, you see someone go to Detroit.
4: You know, I think that uh, you know they know what fits. Um, they know what guys are going to fit them, and that's why when we have orientation at Senior Bowl week, the first night, Sunday night, we get all the players together, and that's the only thing I tell them, my guys. The only advice I'll give you as you as you go through the week is be true to yourself. Like, don't put on a front. Like these, these agents try to coach all the players up to act a certain way and answer questions a certain way, and and yes, there's a better way to answer some questions and all ways, but please be true to yourself because there's 32 different cultures in the league. There's all, Every building's different. I mean, I spent a lot of time in New England and a lot of time in Seattle, and those two cultures and those two buildings are completely polar opposite. So I'm like, the worst thing you can do as a player is act a certain way through the process and then a team drafts you thinking you're that guy, and then you show up there and you're like, oh my God, I don't really fit here. So, so I think anyone Detroit drafts is probably someone they got to feel through the process is like he's our kind of guy.
1: Have so. you ever given that advice to a group of players, and then players start saying things that maybe they shouldn't, and you say, hey, maybe don't be exactly who you are. Don't don't say that. I wouldn't go around saying this.
4: You know, I'll. I'll Do you say Ever
1: have to rein guys back in after that?
4: No, I I think you just got to be transparent. I mean, there was a player I won't say his name here, but there was a player that we drafted in Seattle that I scouted, and he had some off the field issues coming out and you could google it and find a lot of it um, and we in, we interviewed him at the senior bowl and, and he like came out with way more stuff off the field than i even knew about right you know the people at alabama were pretty forthcoming like i felt like i had a lot um, and then he starts talking about the football part and you saw how fired up he got and how intense he got um, and that's what we wanted in Seattle. We wanted alpha males. Like, we were building a locker room full of alphas back then, you know, with Cam Chancellor and all these guys. Um, so he was a great fit for us. Like, he put the off-the-field stuff behind him. And I, I love the transparency. You know, I just love the transparency. I think, guys, the NFL teams, they do so much research, they're going to figure out the answer. So you can't, you can't BS them.
2: I want to know where we're headed with this position, running back. It's been in the headlines, right? The franchise tag, uh, guys wanting the extension. They're not going to get it. It, I mean, the the rules are set up. The the pay is set up to where just go back to the draft and get another guy and put more wear and tear on the tires. In high school over the last era, define that however you want. You'll know this. Best athlete walking the hallways is either the quarterback or the running back guys didn't want to play defense they didn't want to play corner now the money's at corner the money's at wide receiver certainly quarterback are we going to see less players desire to play the running back position and are is it almost instead of a wide receiver that can't catch so now he's a corner will we see more of a conversion to okay we've got a starter at corner or wide receiver dude's going to play running back for us
4: yeah I think is it that drastic I think it's getting us so much attention right now, and I'll say a couple things. One, I hate it for the running backs. I hate it for those guys because nobody takes, no position in that field takes more of a physical toll than those guys. And then they're just they're being devalued. They're being devalued on draft day. I mean, think over the last couple of years. Yeah, Bijan Robinson went in the yeah. first round this year. Najee went a couple of years ago.
1: Jameer Gibbs but went I, this year also. Pretty good year for running back, though, right? It this was is to, the exception, two, and not the
4: rule. To have two in the first round. I mean, but you, you know, so they're they're not getting valued on draft day, and then they get no, nobody wants to pay them on a second contract. So, I mean, I always use this example. We had Damian Pierce from Florida in the Senior Bowl two years ago. The Houston Texans take him in the fourth round two years, last year. And all he did was rush for, he was just under 1,000 yards and he missed four games. So if you can go out in the fourth round and spend fourth round draft capital and pay a guy, you know, really pennies on the dollar that you would have to pay a Tony Pollard or a a Saquon Barkley at the top of the pay scale, why wouldn't you do? It's just, it doesn't make business sense for the teams. But I hate it for the players. So I don't know. I mean, I don't know if they're going to do, you know, adjust the salary cap or the rookie pay, the pay, the the, the rookie pool. I don't know what they're going to do. And when it comes to like playing positions, if I have a son right now, and because to me, if you're either a running back or a linebacker, right? Like you're either wide out or a corner. So like, if if I've got a son and he's a really good running back. And he's not. And, he, and he's. Some guys don't like. Some guys would rather are like are better with being hit than going to hit someone. Like if my son had even a little bit of a defensive mentality, I'm moving him to the other side of the ball. And then the same thing with wide receivers. I mean, our board at the end of the year, like we have so many dang wideouts. I mean, every school's got two or three or four guys now that catch fifty balls in college football. You know, so so it's really a dime a dozen position. So if my, if my kid's got some movement skill and he's tough enough to tackle people, like I want him playing corner, right? So it's just. Again, again, it'll be interesting to see. We'll we'll see. But it's going to be interesting. And then you go to the NFL where you go from 100
2: plays to 60. You know, like it's a drastic difference and so specialized. Uh, And then you can see them all on display in the draft process at the uh, Reese's Senior bill. Not Reese's. Reese's. Yeah. (laughs) We always get it right. It's because
1: it's not Reese's. Does that bother you like it does me when people say Reese's? It may be just kind of a Southern thing. I'm thinking the name of the person was James Reese. It is Reese's apostrophe s, yes, not Reese's.
4: When I took the job, they, they laid it out this way: and it's it's Reese's pieces, not Reese's pieces. Exactly, they're not pieces. It's Reese's pieces, so um, it doesn't bother me. I, I, I'm just glad that I'm just glad that our title sponsor comes to Mobile twice a year and they drop a 400-pound pallet of, of candy in our office. Um, <laughs> because it it saves me from having to go out on Halloween and buy Halloween candy. I mean, everyone in our office, so we've got like six full-time employees in Mobile. Like everyone just goes home. the day before Halloween, and like boxes full of stuff. So I'm, I'm jealous. We are, we are, we are all the most popular ho- house in our respective neighborhoods on Halloween because you're getting the full cups and you're getting full size squishy bars shovels. And, yeah. It,
1: it is objectively the best candy. I will, I will vouch for that till the day I die. Objective. This, this is not a subjective take. Objectively, wow. Reese's cups are the best candy.
4: You got to have the sticks. You got to try the Reese's sticks. Those oh, are, I've tried them. Those are good. I've those, tried those them. Those are <laughs> I, I, I like got those some too. some with them in his bag. Sticks are my favorite. Good to see you. Good to see you guys. Thanks for having me on.